Hello and welcome to Concert Pipeline. I'm Steve Jones. Uh, today on the program, we have Haley and the Crushers. And I had a chance to sit down and chat with Haley about uh, their new album, Modern Adult, out uh, September 13th, right around the corner. Uh, and uh, we dug in deep with that, as well as you know her upbringing in music and, uh, and so much more. Um, had a really great chat with her, so that was a, a lot of fun. Um, it is currently, um, like 115 degrees. I don't know. It's uh, it's late, but it's it's 111 in Vacaville uh, right now. So it's cooling down actually because we we had hit uh, 115, and you know I'm grateful for air conditioning. That's one of the lessons from from the day is that I'm really super grateful for for air conditioning um, in my, in my home because. It is gnarly and it is gross outside. And I, you know what? I'm going to stick it in, stick around inside. That's what I'm going to do tonight. Um, that's the plan. So uh, we have more of the same tomorrow to look forward to. But I just, you know, I lived in a house in Napa for eight years uh, that had no air conditioning. And while it's, you know, 10 to 15 degrees cooler than it is here in Vacaville, uh, uh, you know, it would still be miserable there on a hundred degree day uh, where, you know, I'm stuck inside and losing my mind and uh, and just, it's just gross and no way to cool down and sitting over an air AC unit as I'm trying to sleep, like dangling my legs, you know, uh, in, uh, you know, a, yeah, a near birth state of clothing. Let me say that an at birth state of clothing. Uh, I was in my birthday suit, right? Uh, there were hot days when I lived there uh, sometimes. And luckily, few and far between there, there were a handful of them a year, but it got gross on the second floor uh, um, in a house that didn't have air conditioning. And now, you know, I'm here and it's hot and I have AC and I have solar that offsets the cost of the AC, which is really nice. So enjoy that. Um, yeah. So uh, as I said, this is Concert Pipeline. Uh, this is my podcast and we talk to bands that are uh, touring sometimes around the bay area sometimes not um Haley and the crushers uh, are coming to the west coast i think but not hitting the bay area so hopefully uh, on their next tour maybe that'll happen um i want to talk a little bit about something that i don't really want to talk about and that's that's an interesting point right that's an interesting place to be at in this opening for this program is kind of having this topic this thing on the tip of my tongue that i want to discuss but that i'm actually biting my tongue to not discuss and that is um a concert i went to last night and i made a uh i made a what is it called a drop frame um i don't remember exactly what i'm what it's called I, again it's 115 degrees and i'm losing brain cells by by the moment uh but uh but i made a, a box from the concert last night because it's it's up there in terms of my favorite concerts of all time and without getting into too many details of the concert and how it went it was andrew mcmahon in the wilderness um andrew mcmahon um uh from uh, something corporate jack's mannequin and andrew mcmahon in the wilderness um he he brought a show around and it was a nostalgia show, heavy on nostalgia, uh, but, you know, played a lot of something corporate tunes um, as well as some that um, he hadn't played in years. And, uh, and, you know, and more than the content of the concert, which he played with Dashboard Confessional. Um, we have footage of, uh, of that on 
YouTube. Uh, you can check out Concert Pipeline's YouTube. Um, I have a song from Andrew and from Dashboard up there. So check those out. Um, check pictures out on uh, our Instagram at Concert Pipeline uh, for, for both of those. Uh, but what I want to talk about more is really just how fortunate I feel to um, to have such a, a great friend and his, his wife, you know, to share these experiences with. Uh, I mean, I've been friends with my buddy Joe for uh, over 20 years, and Andrew McMahon is one of the first artists that Joe got me into as my musical tastes were developing. And I, uh, you know, I've we, we try to go see Andrew every year when he comes to the Bay Area. Um, we had a really great experience last night. It was memorable for all of us for, for different reasons that hopefully um, I'm going to be able to get into in a special pod uh, separate from, uh, from this one where we can show uh, some footage from the concert, uh, some of the songs that they sang, pictures, talk about it, relive it. That's, that's my hope, uh, but it's hard to nail them down, you know, in terms of time um, to, uh, to have that. But I really enjoyed the concert. So uh, if they don't join, then I'll probably do a solo one and, uh, and talk through it then. Um, but I'm hoping they're able to join um, at the time of this recording. They have not, of course. But, uh, but really, again, the shared experience with a friend um, around music, around a concert, is unlike any other. It's something that I value so much and getting to, you know, take a trip to San Francisco to go see a show with a band that we both are, you know, very intimately close with in terms of how the, uh, that band impacted us uh, in our lives over the years and our connection with that band and being able to share that is is huge it's just huge uh and it's something that i won't don't take for granted you know same with having a friend uh that you know to uh to share those experiences with so that's just what i want to kind of throw out is i hope that everybody um, watching and listening and uh, to concert pipeline has someone that they can connect with, you know, uh, in terms of music and really that ha has helped develop their music uh, sense and taste, and that uh, that they have that commonality with. Because I'm lucky to have that with my buddy Joe, um, and uh, and so we had a great time. And we've seen Andrew so many times over the years. And I mean, we we talked about it as we were walking back to the car afterwards, and it's like. I don't even know if either of us could list how many times, you know, or the concerts that we've seen Andrew McMahon at that would take sitting down and, and writing it out and kind of saying, okay, chronologically, when was the first time you know, we saw Andrew McMahon, you know, and how many, how many times have we, we seen, uh, seen Andrew in concert? It, he's one of our favorites, if not our favorite. Um, and, uh, and it's super, super cool. And I hope to have Andrew on the, the program again uh, as he's coming out with a new album um, early next year. So that's, uh, that's the hope. We weren't able to make it uh, happen for this tour, but we got some great content for you. Um, all right. So that's enough of the rambling up front of, you know, really nothing in terms of uh, uh, music of the, from the concert, but, uh, but in terms of the impact of true friendships. So, um, all right. So let's get into uh, my interview with Haley and the Crushers. Um, we talked to Haley about uh, the band and her kind of coming to, uh, you know, to terms with this band and kind of the other bands that led, you know, to creating Haley and the Crushers with um, Dr. Kane um, and, uh, and where her life's at there. We had a really great chat. So let's, let's get into that now. Hi. Hey, Haley, how are you doing? Good, how are you? 
I'm doing good, doing good. Uh, how has your day been so far? Pretty good. I'm just preparing to uh, take a plane to LA tomorrow. So I was just packing and doing all those little last minute things, but I, got, I managed to get my to-do list done, so. That's good. It's out of the way. You don't have to look back. You know, you're not, not a last, very last minute packer, right? So. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I have a fan in the background. Is that like an audio issue? Uh, I don't, it, it doesn't seem to be. I think it's okay. Cool. It, enjoy it. It's hot. Where are you right now? Uh, Detroit, Michigan, actually on the border of Hamtramck and Detroit. It's like in the 80s today. Oh, okay. I don't, I don't have to feel too bad then. Um, I'm in the Bay Area and it's like 100 degrees where I am. So yeah, I'm um, not looking forward to LA. I feel like it's going to be really hot tomorrow. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Pack the, you know, the summer clothes because we still got it here, so. What's happening? Yeah, yeah. We actually just, it's pretty hot here. We just had a crazy storm that was like 75 mile per hour winds and like knocked down, knocked out like 300,000 people's power. And like, I'm not used to weather, so it's really strange. Like, I'm not used to it. I'm from California. Yeah, yeah. You're, uh, and you are from the Bay Area or you lived in the Bay Area for a little bit. Is that right? Or? No, I was born in San Francisco, but I lived mostly in uh, like the South Bay, LA area or in um, the Central Coast. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. And how was growing up in uh, in the LA area? What was that like for you? Um, well, I lived in Hermosa Beach on Valley Drive near Second Street, like near the Strand. So that was kind of beachy and fun. And I had my little wiener dog and my skateboard and I would like skateboard the Strand and go down to the liquor store to get my mom a newspaper. She would always tell me to ask for cigarettes as well as a joke. Um, <laughs> um, and I would see, I always tell people this, but I think it's just really indicative of the time, like early nineties, like 94 and like Baywatch being on the beach or like they would literally be like filming and, you know, hanging out at the beach with my friends and just very like idyllic, I would say. Um, I moved away from that area when I was 10, but then I returned back to Southern California in, when I was like around 16. And I had a whole teenage just debauchery love affair with um, Southern California as a teenager, being in an all-girl band and just being in the punk scene and shit. So it's been kind of a wild ride. I feel like I've really done Southern California. And although I miss California, you know, I just moved to Detroit. I mean, I feel like I've really, I really experienced it, you know, like the good, the bad and the ugly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, so tell me about your time in Detroit and like the, the music scene. How is that out there? Well, we just moved about four months, five months ago, and um, we just packed up all our shit and moved here. So a lot of it, a lot of the time has been like trying to find a house, uh, trying to get everything settled. But so far, the music scene in Detroit is very cool. I would say it's very like um, garage and blues based from what I've seen. And it kind of seems like, I mean, newsflash, the white stripes, but um, it seems like the echoes of the white stripes are very much strong and here and present in a way that is very, and also the MC5 and Iggy and the Stooges, everyone plays super loud and they start their shows super late. So it's, it's, it's a little more hardcore than, than California for sure in that way. Uh, but yeah, I'm just kind of delving into it. So it's been kind of a fun experience and that people are nice, I would say that. I mean, that Midwest hospitality is just, it permeates everything here. And I don't care what anyone says about Detroit, the people here have been so welcoming and friendly. 
Yeah, and and your house. Uh, I think I saw some videos uh, online of of your house and kind of some of the the unique intricacies of it. Let me say, T tell me tell me about your your house and kind of uh, you know how that came about. Well, we were looking for a house in Detroit, and we found about we, we kind of stumbled upon. Well, not stumbled upon. We used to tour through Hamtramck area, which is like not technically Detroit, but is technically Detroit. It's a little bit north from downtown. It's like 10 minutes from downtown and it's technically its own city. It's two square miles. Um, that Their like motto is that see the world in two square miles. I think that the school children here in the school district speak over 25 languages or 24 languages, extremely multicultural. And it's a very cool area. So we, we had toured through and played played like the Outer Limits Lounge which is like right on the border of Hamtramck in Detroit. And we always kind of knew there was this little area where there was Smalls, which is a great punk venue, the Sanctuary, which is a great punk venue um, and Outer Limits. We kind of thought like, oh, this is kind of a cool little art community coming up. And so there were only like four or five houses available in Hamtramck proper. And I'm we're on the border, but I still consider it Hamtramck. And so we just were like, okay, let's just get in here and see what they are. And they were all these little tiny, all these houses were built in the twenties. And these were people that worked, you know, at the, the, the automotive factories and stuff. These were Polish immigrants. Now it's like Yemeni and Bangladeshi immigrants. And all the houses were super weird as a, as a San Francisco person, you can probably appreciate that sense of like things being very old and put together by like shoestring and bubble gum and like people coming from different countries. Yeah. Like uh, we found that like the the man who, who lived in this house before us, uh, which is, I think was built in 1924 or 25. I keep forgetting, but um, he, he used like the inside of like a, like a school binder to like, like for like a key hook. And like, he was like collecting like shoes in the, in the basement, and, like all sorts of weird shit like that. Um, but my husband slash bass player slash rat dog dad, Dr. Reed Kate Esquire is an amazing builder. That's like his profession. It is his profession. And so he's had quite a time going through and realizing, oh, there's no insulation. Oh, you know, um, there's a lot, a lot of fixer uppers here in Detroit. And we are certainly on that journey of like, hmm, are we going to be that person on the home improvement show? That's like, you know, that person, the person that uh -huh. really over their head. And then there's like, you know, are we going to make it before the end of the, the show? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's been interesting. We were really just, we're in full construction mode. We're in the one room of the house where these are hundred year old plaster walls that for some reason, this living room is like untouched, but the floor is plywood. There's, you know, the walls are knocked out. It's all like an adventure for sure. <laughs> yeah. Was, was this the first house you've bought? It's the first house I've bought personally. So Dr. Kane has his has a house he bought in San Luis Obispo before we married. And when, when it came around to getting this house, financially it worked out better for me to be on the on it for financial reasons. But I think it's kind of funny. It's very like Frida Kahlo, like because she and her husband, you know, um, the famous muralist, I'm forgetting his name. Yeah, whatever. Mm -hmm. Anyway, they had two separate houses. And so although we are married our record collections are separate and now we're joking that like this is the detroit house is my house and the california house is his house but um yeah it's a first for me and you know for people that want to that don't have a lot of money and i'm a freelance writer i don't make a lot of money you can come to detroit and you can if you're willing to like build some shit and like really you know go in and build you can do whatever you want so i'm yeah. definitely not like an outlier 
you know, I'm, I'm very lucky though. Yeah. Yeah. I just bought my first house a couple months ago and, uh, and it's, I tell you, I mean, it's the craziest thing because it's like, you have like, you make the decision, the big, like one of the biggest decisions of your life in like 15 minutes, right? Like, because yeah. <laughs> you, you get, you get that time where you get to walk through and especially in the market now. And I'm not sure if it's as crazy in Detroit, yeah. but, but it's like, if you don't get it right then it's and that same day, then someone else is going, you know, is going to, you don't get the, you know, even the There's weekend to decide. Yeah. Congratulations. That's amazing. Well, thank you. And thank you. I, I, I 100% agree. There's very few th things in life where they tell you don't sleep on it. They're like, no, mm -hmm. you need like, especially in Detroit, in this little Hamtramck area, there are only like three or four houses available. So it was like, if you want to get a cheap house and you want to get something in the area with all the punk venues and the fun food and all the good stuff, you got to like get on that. And I totally agree. It's just such a trip. And I don't know. I think it's been a like, growing up experience for me. I'm in my mid thirties. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't want kids. So there's very few of those like um, life moments that I'm like, I'm married. So it's like, well, what's next? Okay. I'm going to get menopause or something. And then what do I get a party for that? Like what's the next you might, you might, <laughs> you know, you can always throw yourself a party for that. Right. And yeah, it is <laughs> no matter what stage you're at, it's a big decision. I mean, I have two kids, but I'm a, I'm a single parent and it's kind of was a co-parenting thing to move and buy this house and, and, and all of that. And it just happened to work out. My dad was passing through the area at the same time in a time where I had to walk through and I'm like, okay, come look at it. Just tell me if there's anything, you know, anything, but Cause I'm like, I'm not the handiest of people. Uh, right. And I'm like, okay, there's, there's stuff I'm going to miss, but I, I just need to make sure I get a good spot and got in right before the, you know, everything went crazy and with interest rates and yeah. prices and all that. It's nuts. Right. Yeah. Look at us like a couple of adults. Yeah. I know. I know. Like real estate. Ooh, it makes me feel so grown up. Um, <laughs> there yeah. are rites of passage after like your teen, like an early twenties. I feel like there's so few rites of passage that you can even go through. It's like, what's, I got a, uh, what are they called? Um, a mouth guard. Is that like oh, for that, you know, grind exciting. <laughs> you, you could, you could party for whatever reason you need to. Right. So I, yeah, I agree. I think that we should, like, we should all be proud of like, whatever those next steps are like, and it's not always something big, like a house. Sometimes it's just like. I, I changed my strings before the show this time. Like, you know, yeah, that's yeah. Good. <laughs> it, it'll get to the point one day where it's like, you know, I didn't poop in my depends. This let's celebrate. So, you know, right. it'll, it'll get, it's yeah, all, about there. it certainly is all about context. That is what life is about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, so we can go to back to the band a bit, but I'm, I'm interested in your comic book shop. You had a, you had a comic book shop and tell me kind of how that came about and, uh, and the decision to uh, to sell it. Well, uh, my husband, Dr. Reed Kane Esquire, the only fake doctor, fake lawyer in the world, he um, or the best fake doctor and fake lawyer in the world. There might be others. Um, he purchased it. I mean, he. I mean, he didn't purchase it. He he started it. He founded it. He he created that business um, about eleven years ago in downtown San Luis Obispo, California. And um, he was, uh, before that, lived in Oakland, and he was very into Mr. Comic, Dr. Comics and Mr. Games, I want to say. That's what it's called. It's in Oakland. And he worked there briefly. And so when he moved to San Luis Obispo, he was actually going to pursue architecture, but then he kind of went a different direction. But he did do some architecture and building in San Luis Obispo. Um, he, during 2008, during the downturn, he was like, okay, well, uh, what the heck? Like, there's no jobs. There's nothing to do in the construction business in 2008. So he thought like, what the hell? 
I'll just start a comic book store. And so he started Dr. Kane's Comics, um, the name being kind of like his like evil villain name, Dr. Kane, and kind of like an homage to like his favorite comic book store in the Bay Area. And uh, yeah, he had that for about 11 years. And it's like, it's a really romantic thing because I used to work there that, you know, we kind of met through his, you know, hanging out at his shop and he would carry like zines. And one of my favorite zines is Comet Bus, which I'm sure you're aware of and the Bay Area. Um, and so there are all sorts of little connections like that. He got me into like Scott Pilgrim. That was like the first graphic novel I got into. And anyways, uh, he sold it in 2018 or 19 so that we could tour more because we both decided, you know, we really want to expand and travel the country in our van with our dogs and just like do this crushers thing. Like, let's do it for reals. Let's tour. Let's go to new cities. So of course he let go of his beautiful shop. He actually sold it to a friend, Patrick Hayes, who still owns it and is kicking ass with it, honestly. He's doing a great job, maybe even better than, he, than Dr. Kane did. <laughs> um, yeah. And because Dr. Kane's a grump and had, it is set in his own ways. And uh, that's what we love about him. Um, so yeah, so he sold it and we went, we were gonna tour and stuff. And then of course we did do some touring. But then of course COVID happened and it was kind of like one of those want-want situations where we were so ready to like fly away from the coop that it was very unfortunate like when the selling of the business happened and our ambitions with touring were really heating up and then we were forced to stay on the central coast but and I will let you talk because I know I talk a lot I think it was a blessing it was and I wonder if people can relate to this if they also felt okay so first I felt resistance having to stay where I was and not being able to tour second I had like a little mini ego death of like all the things I wanted to do in life and what I was going to do before I turned 33 or some arbitrary bullshit stuff. And then I, yeah, I got over my own bullshit, realized it was stupid. And then I came around and realized, oh my gosh, every single person in this town, I appreciate and love. My family reconnected with different members of my family, um, treated my town like a tourist. I went and saw the wildflowers. I went and I went kayaking to the lighthouse. I did all the little things that I kind of took took for granted. And I think a lot of people could probably relate to that, like being forced to be grounded and kind yeah. of where you're planted. It was actually a blessing. And it allowed us to like really, really take stock of like where we are in life and the people that the wonderful people who have like helped like raise us as musicians. And like it was, it was actually really beautiful. So as much as I it was kind of a bittersweet and very like tumultuous time. You know, we got a great album out of it, like our new album, and we got this great story out of it. And I think we've grown as people and we were able to move away from a place, not moving away from California, but towards something else. And that was not how we felt before COVID. So yeah, that's how I yeah. like frame it in my mind so I don't get sad. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, you know, COVID hit everybody differently for sure. And we, but we were all in this kind of collective thing, right? I mean, it's yeah. something, I, I looked at it as kind of this thing that, it, it divided us in ways, but it, it, it also was unified us in, a, in another way, right? Because yeah. we all we all have an experience. And I'll tell you, I mean, before COVID, like I didn't have Zoom and do, and wasn't able to do Zoom interviews. I'd go to concerts and interview uh, the bands always at the show. Uh, and and that was just kind of how it worked. And this, I mean, now, I mean, I've been able to talk to bands all over the world, um, you know, and and really expand uh, the ability. And it, and also, you, you you fit it into a spot between like sound check and, uh, and, right. and food. And they're like thinking about the food, right? So you got maybe 15, 20 of this. We can take it, you know, however long the conversation goes, you know, naturally. And yeah. 
uh, it, it just it opens up those doors a lot better. So there are good things that came from from it as well, and uh, and growth and all of that, right? Yeah, so. that's a, like what you just said is a perfect example. It's really leveled up what how you do what you do, and you probably aren't the same person anymore because you're like, oh, I'm this whole different interview. I'm this whole different you know person that's has like the power now. Like you kind of gave us power in certain ways. Like it gave us like agency in certain ways. It took away a lot of freedom. But I feel like as much as it took away, it allowed us to like all grow stronger. I mean, I know people that like, I know people that didn't do anything during COVID. I mean, I didn't write my novel. I thought I was going to, but I know people that like worked out a lot. I know people that broke up and it needed to happen. It needed mm. to happen. People that got together it needed to happen. And I like, was one, I was one of those, by the way. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like she moved in, you know, at the beginning of COVID, not a good time to, to move in, by the way, didn't make things more comfortable. And then, yeah, it, it happened uh, a little bit later, you know, things got tense and anyway, we don't need to get too deep with that, but. We need things to accelerate. I mean, we often need things to accelerate our lives because our brains will just continue to tell us to stay in the comfort zone. So that was one, it's like, of course, in 2022, we can say that people were dying and are dying. And like, it, it was atrocious and horrific during the time. But I, I don't think there's, there's anything wrong with like reframing it in a way of like, yeah, like we all, came out of it in a better way. Like this new album is an example of that in the sense that we leveled up in certain ways and then we wrote a more mature record. It's more real, but, and it's one we couldn't have done if we hadn't gone through a lot of heartache and pain and like every member of the band went through their own journey. So, you know, yeah. if, if art is like what I aim to do in my life, like I couldn't ask for a greater gift, you know, like the, I hate, it just sounds so cheesy, but you know, that is the, this is all the good and bad of life. You know, you can't just be like whimsical and having a great party forever. Like that just gets boring. I mean, I don't like any bands that are just fun forever. Like you gotta have some, you gotta have some sad songs. You gotta have some, you know, disharmony in your life. You know, can't just yeah. be like, like Umbop, yeah. Hanson Brothers, you know, <laughs> like. Yeah, can't all be perfect, right? And oh, uh, yeah, and I want to get into the new album, but I do want to kind of build some of the foundation for for that, you know, the kind of built to that, because there, you and Dr. Kane each had your own kind of collective experiences and and styles that, that kind of built this, you know, not just this album, but the, the band in general. I mean, you, so you joined his band 10 years ago. Uh, he had a country band, right? Yeah. And, Tell me, tell me about that. Like, I mean, what was that like? And, and did you adjust? I mean, because country was not part of your style mm -hmm. upbringing. No, and I'll, I'll try to do like the quick version of it because I can, I do get a little verbose, but um, I, as a teenager, I was in the punk scene in downtown, in just like all the words are just coming out of my mouth today, <laughs> in um, Southern California. I almost said like downtown California. That's downtown not, California, you know. You know that's that's like a bar, like that should be a crazy, stupid bar um like a like a casino or something um anyways so uh I was in the punk scene that was you know fun but it was also a lot of partying and stuff and so uh when I turned early 20s I think 21 or 22 I was like I need to get out of this I need to like move back to where my my dad lived and he lives in the central coast of California and that's a beautiful beautiful place it's San Luis Obispo County it's wine country it's there's country there's country music there's horses you know my dad had horses and so when I moved back home um to my dad's house and I'm like I was living in his basement early 20s I realized like because I had gone to high school a couple years up there I realized like I don't have any friends here anymore 
all my punk rock and roll friends, I love them dearly, but they just, it's too much happening down there. We can all relate to those times when everybody just seems to be spinning in their own directions. I was just like, I need to get the fuck out. And so I was like, well, what am I going to do? So I learned banjo. I was like, I guess I'll just learn the banjo. So I took banjo lessons. I was getting into bluegrass, which really is three chords in the truth. I mean, it is very similar to punk. And um, I was just getting into country bluegrass. I was really into like um, Loretta Lynn and like Dolly Parton and these women that I realized were just as feminist as like Exine, Cervanka or whatever. Like these are people these are women that were punk when it was like really hard to be punk. They're singing about getting the birth control pill and singing about, you know, empowerment. And like Dolly Parton was like embracing her sexuality. And like, I was just really getting into like the good country and like Waylon Jennings and his outlaw mentality. All those things were kind of like, I was like, yeah, man, like this is like punk, but country punk. I like this. Like, I feel like I can handle this. It's not like all about drugs, except for Waylon Jennings. That is all about drugs. All about drugs. (laughs) All about the cocaine. And so that's how I met um, my husband, uh, Dr. Kane or Reed Kane. And um, yeah, I was playing banjo. He would come see my band. I go see his band, Red Eye Junction, which still has way more Spotify followers on it than our band does together. (laughs) And um, yeah, I joined that band and, yeah, my first tour, I think I was like 23. And he said, well, do you want to ring or do you want to go on tour? And I was like, I want to go on tour. And so that was our first tour together, playing country music and learning about living in a van and learning about washing in a river and in the lake. And um, I, I couldn't say the shows were that fantastic, really. But I have very fond memories of that time. And like, he comes from actually like a very like crust punk background. <laughs> um, 90s bay area kind of i don't know no no deodorant you know that kind of thing and like sure. the grindy like he loves neurosis he loves like shit like that like heavy like heavy and um so he kind of went from that to country and i went from like punk to country and so together through that we kind of like realized oh we both have these different appetites for music and from there we ended up starting a punk band together called magazine dirty and that was really fun. And then from there was the crushers. And so each installment of our relationship has seen, you know, albums and EPs and singles. And we've, we're always working on music together. So that's kind of how it all came together. Um, so yeah, thank you for asking that. I don't always get questions about the country side of things. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's it's definitely a unique piece, right? Especially when you talk about the, I mean, the whole style and dynamic, it's like, it seems so far removed from country that it's it's interesting to to hear about that piece of, you know, of, you know, of, I mean, it's a piece of what built you to to this point, right? And your, and your relationship with. Yeah. Um, yeah and it's still he loves his country he loves like john party that's like a new guy just came out with a new record i think he loves like we get in the van and it's just like a constant battle because he wants to listen to like either 90s country that's either like you know super 90s country or it's pop country or it's outlaw country but i'm always trying to get on the 90s channel because i just want to listen to like ace of bass and um then we'll just we'll settle on just like the soul channel because we're really into that right now because it feels right for where we live and um, so I think the best, not the best, but the, the musicians that I like the most, I always end up finding out they like such such weird shit, you know? Cause you bring yeah. all these elements into the band. And if all you listen to is punk and then you have a punk band, it's just not gonna, it's not yeah. gonna 
the multifaceted, you know, if you look at bands like X, it's like, oh, they, they listened to every kind of music and brought it in, you know? And I feel like that to me is always like the people I gravitate towards where their record collection is like the, a million things, you know, they have exotica, they have jazz, they have country, they have a funk, you know, they have, you know, everything. Like, I think it's, and yeah, country is great. People need to stop shitting on country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I had my period of country. It was a long time ago, but uh, <laughs> uh, that was seventh grade for me, I'll tell you. Uh, yeah. 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 Nice. yeah. Uh, um, and so, yeah, I mean, you mentioned the record collection. You have yours and he has his. Can you even just sit down and listen to a record with him and just relax and just be like, we're going to throw this on? And Or do you, you know, how does that work? Well, normally... Um... Yeah, I hate to admit it, but I mean, we don't really listen to vinyl unless we're entertaining. And I haven't been able to do that since I moved, but normally it would look something like I would pick four or five records out and it might be like some Nancy Sinatra, some random old reggae that probably belongs to Reed that I've never even heard of that I'm like, ooh, I want to check this out. Maybe some surf music, maybe there's like some Motley Crue and like some Madonna and some Go-Go's, like random shit. Like I would pick out five or six records and put them out by the record player and I would start dinner. And then as people came in, we would just kind of see what the flow of the party was doing. And usually it would be so jarring that someone would be like, wait, what, what, we're doing this now? We're not doing the talking heads now or something like that. And um, so we kind of really listened to vinyl in a very chaotic way that I feel like is very similar to our personalities, which is just like, we're both very chaotic as you can probably already tell. And so, um, we kind of do it that way. We, we rarely ever, ever, ever sit down and be like, hmm, let's put this record on the, on the turntable and get our corn pop pipes and like sit down. But I would say that, that, but doing what you're saying, like where you actually listen, what we really do is when we're in the van on a long drive, going to a city, we'll be like, let's listen to, you know, the new Rat Queen record and really listen to it. And so that's our like time to really get into it. Yeah, yeah, you have a lot of time on the road to to dig in there. Uh, yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, one thing I'm bouncing around a little bit, but one thing that I, I was interested in is the videos that you made with your sister to Weezer's Blue album. <laughs> yeah. Who didn't hear about that? That definitely I, is true. I don't remember ever saying that, but I would have said that. Tell me, tell me about it. What happened there? My sister, my big sister, had like four CDs. It was like Oasis. What was it? Wonderwall? Is that what? Uh, what's the story? Morning Glory. That yeah, yeah. It was Oasis. It was Weezer, the Blue album. Mariah Carey, Dream Lover. Oh my God. And TLC, Crazy, Sexy, Cool. I think that's what it was called. Chasing Waterfalls. Anyway, she had like a. She had like the. She had the radio hits of the day, right? And Weezer yeah. was such a big deal in the early '90s. And yeah, we would sit around with our clunky old like you know, video camera and make literally like stupid music videos where we're just, I don't know. I don't even know what we were doing, but I mean, I can't be the only one who did this. We also <laughs> know a lot of Oasis, a lot with Oasis songs, but Weezer, I don't know. Weezer is just a really, just a really fun band. Like, I don't know. Like I just, I, I associate them with like being a little kid and like dressing up and like singing into a hairbrush and I don't know. There's not really much story there, except that that informed me. And I still, anytime I'm at a bar and one of those songs comes on, I mean, I'm not the only millennial who does that. Like I just put my drink down to start singing, you know? Um, 
I did get to sing once with uh, Geezer, which is a Weezer. Yeah, yes, uh, Zach Goody uh, was uh, in Geezer, right? And uh, he's the new lead singer of Smash Mouth. What? Yes, you didn't know that, did you? Oh, I, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I interviewed him a couple months ago, actually, and uh, and went down to see them down, you know, down south somewhere, uh, a couple hours away. But uh, oh. yeah, yeah, they have a new singer. Uh, he, I mean, I just, he's, I he's, just he's, one song with them at like a bowling alley yeah. one time. But I just remember like just being so excited, and yeah, it's, it's one of those bands. I mean, I feel like it. It just is so it's so of that era to me I don't know like that was a really interesting like I bought whole surfers them um who else I mean obviously like when Nirvana came out that was a big deal that's a little before my time but all sure. I feel like there was always like someone's older sister or brother that was like into college rock that yeah. had like all these kind of cool like ooh, this is like kind of like alternative you know it wasn't like punk but it was hooky and had a lot of melody and a lot of like point of view um yeah I love Weezer yeah 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 no they're, they're good times I've seen them a good handful of times and they put on a good show so nice uh, I've never seen them yeah um yeah okay so the new album uh Modern Adult um I got a chance to listen to it um uh, I dig it tell it's your th uh, third album with uh Haley and the Crushers right and and so tell me kind of your process for uh following up you know uh your your previous release with this new album like how do you how do you approach it and kind of the dynamic of of you and dr uh, kane in kind of building this because it's got such you know pizzazz is i think a word to it, to it. like 80s you know uh, i mean there's so many like feelings that you know, and different bands that kind of like flow in i, I want to hear from you about it i love it just like i feel like 80s and there's different feelings and there's, <laughs> there's feelings no, but like that's such a good point like yeah like yeah yeah you just hit the nail on the head that's like the most vague but also so true it's like it's kind of 80s and there's a lot of feelings I love that I should just tell people that's what it's about but um, <laughs> it like, goes, put that on the album yes that, that, <laughs> yeah uh, that's really funny that makes me laugh um so our previous album was vintage millennial which is all about being an old millennial and that was very upbeat and sunny and fun and I would say had a little bit more 60s references in it maybe a little 80s but um kind of like a retro we're, we're we're a retro we're we're like a oldies punk band you know we're kind of we bring retro into what we do and so for this album yes we definitely leaned more towards 80s and 90s vibes um I've heard a lot of people say it kind of gives them some 90s vibes weirdly um maybe not weirdly mm -hmm. um but I think that's just because the songs are a little bit more, um, I don't know, they're more layered, they're more lush, they're more radio friendly, um, for better or worse. They're more real. Um, a lot of the songs were written during times of struggle as I've kind of foreshadowed. And even so, there's a lot of joy there. And I do feel like certain people will just get the joy out of it and they won't scratch the surface into the lyrics. And that's fine. Like not everything has to be this deep emotional connection. I think um, our song California Sober is kind of like that. It's more like a wink and a nod to like the people that are in our lives that, you know, have this Zen wellness mentality of how they're so um, emotionally, you know, healthy and whatever, because they do psychedelics, but they don't drink alcohol and this kind of thing. It's that's obviously a sarcastic song. It's 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 about a real topic. It's about real people kind of wasting their lives, but it's also like a fun and 
danceable hit. So we do Modern Adult Kicks. The name came from Reed and I being on the road. I think we were somewhere in Illinois and we were at the Elks Lodge. So I'm a nine-year Elks member and we always take the van to the Elks Lodges and park because it's very cheap or free and the drinks are usually very cheap and there's good people usually all the time and food and stuff. And so we, um, we were sitting there and then, you know, like those like stupid cheesy um, like music channels that come on TV and they're yeah. called like, like you can just literally put it on like a music channel and the music channel, you know, it's like smooth jazz or like. Sure, sure. It's just like, a whole style, right? Like yeah. Poppy children. I mean, I don't know, I, whatever. Um, so anyways, we were sitting there and the, the, the TV, it was like a modern adult hits. And I was like, Oh, that's amazing. That's the stupidest. Yeah. And originally the album was going to be called modern adult hits, but then we realized it's very presumptuous and people wouldn't get the joke that, you know, obviously we don't think that every song is a hit. And so we changed it to kicks and it kind of made sense to us because the album, as much as it is about kind of like growing up as a band and there's songs about heartbreak, alienation, codependency, addiction, feeling lost, not knowing if you're going to make it like those are real feelings we all feel. Um, it's definitely still upbeat and it definitely still has like a heart to it. And so it just all kind of made sense. Like, okay, this is like the next era of this band where we're going from vintage millennial to modern adult kicks and I think that it's just a very natural, natural groove, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so were there like specific musical influences that you kind of wanted to incorporate to the style of the film? I mean, always like we were listening a lot to like end of the century by the Ramones and thinking about Phil Spector and like thinking about like lushness and layers and textures and how can we elevate a three-piece punk band into, you know, if you listen to the album, there's multiple guitars. Obviously, I'm not playing all those guitars. Some of those guitars, Dr. Kane's playing. Some of those guitars, our friend Jeff's playing. Our friend Trenton's playing. Our friend John Miller's playing. We had John Miller singing in the background on Broken Window, like basically mimicking my voice. People, we had all these people kind of come in that we, we, we trusted with our vision to kind of like fill it out and make it more lush. And so I guess to answer your question, we really just wanted to give it like that extra layer of like dimension. And I don't know, like, I guess we did think a lot about like Phil Spector and how he created Wall of Sound. I know that sounds like very pie in the sky to reach for something like that. But like on um, I Fall, for example, like the way that it fades out and the amount of guitars and repetition and things that are happening at the end of that song, I mean, we were really trying to emulate that idea of like keeping melodies, counter melodies, and another melody on top of that kind of going throughout a song and like how you build a song. So I'm not sure that answers your question, but we really wanted to build. And we also, we also wanted to slow our sound down a bit, not because it's more radio friendly, but we just felt like we want to make like a radio rock record. Like I wanted to do that. I, I love pop music and I love writing poppy music. And it felt like, an adult thing to do. And so maybe the next record's just gonna be the most punk rock chaotic thing you've ever heard. But this is like what, what was right for us at the moment and with the production team we had at Kitten Robot Records, which was a very elevated team with Paul Rossler as our producer. And he's an amazing both singer, producer and keyboardist. My God, oh. yeah, he's everywhere on the record and he is phenomenal. And 
we were like, well, we're not going to just like do a three piece garage band. We need to like, we need to like, I don't know, like put our little spin on the, on like the radio hits and just allow it to be that. And if that's dorky, fine, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, so what did Paul bring, you know, to you? Did you, had you worked with him before or? I hadn't. So Paul's really cool. He's, um, he was a founding member of the band, The Screamers, which is like a original Los Angeles 77 punk band. And he was actually probably, I want to say he was the first like punk rock producer, but I know there were probably others, but he was like one of the first ones who became sort of like known for, for doing that and working with bands like TSOL back in the day and taking his wide, wide, wide breadth of knowledge and his actually very, um, he's also, he was also in 45 Grave, if you like them. Um, yeah. Also, he's got a very cerebral way of looking at music and production. He also has a very wide breadth of knowledge. Um, being of a different generation, more of an older generation, you know, he has respect for bands like the Beatles and Led Zeppelin and the Rolling Stones and all of that. And he can bring that into his, but he also lived through like that first generation of punk in Los Angeles, which was so eccentric and so eclectic and so many different vibes. I mean, you had like Stray Cats and you had um, the Slits, or not the Slits, um, Alice Bag. the Slits okay. are in England, but like um, Alice Bag, and you had, you know, X and you had um, the Plugs and all these different bands, or are they San Francisco? Anyways, I'm just gonna. <laughs> it's okay, you got this. Black Flag and all these different bands coming together. And I just feel like, I get my California bands mixed up sometimes. Um, all these different, you know, genres kind of mixing together to like make it this really fun and funky, like the germs are over here. And he went through all that. I feel like having a producer that not only understands how wacky punk can be in that spirit of wackiness and like how to play in that, but also has this wide breadth of knowledge of music and is actually extremely talented and cerebral and knows how to do all this shit. I mean, we couldn't have asked for a better person to like tinker with our sound. And we gave him, we're like, look, we wanna have creative control of a lot of this. And we wanna kind of like lead the ship, but we want you to take us on detours. And we want you to tell us when we are failing at something and be really brutally honest where we can improve. And he did do that. And so again, it's like a growth experience where we kind of, you know, came out, you know, out of that, like more mature, you know? So all of that with Paul was amazing. And we really owe it to Josie Cotton because that's her label, Kitten Robot Records and her mm -hmm. studio, Kitten Robot Studios in LA. And she believed in us, brought us into her like wacky family and her team of all these kind of eccentric punks and rockers and God knows who, uh, we got a goth in there somewhere and like all these different kind of characters, they all kind of helped us just kind of raise the bar a bit without losing ourselves. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's great. I mean, great to have so much support behind uh, your band in that album, you know, to, to make it happen. Incredible, yeah. I mean, there's just no big labels anymore that are worth, like, nobody's trying to get on a big that's... label. Having, a label that's intimate and is a good team that communicates and all wants to do something weird together. I mean, that's all I think musicians today can really hope to achieve to me. Anyways, that's how yeah. I feel. Having people around you that get you and want to see you succeed. And like, you know, they're just such a different landscape than what we've heard about in the nineties or the eighties or whatnot. And 
I'm very happy with where we're at. I love it. I love kid robots. Yeah. They're good <laughs> to you. <laughs> yeah. I have to plug them though. You know, when someone believes in you and picks you up when they, it's, you know, when it doesn't mean anything to them, I mean, it's not like they were getting anything out of it. So the fact that they have given us so much of their like confidence and put their money where their mouth is and really like elevated us. I, in my, I will never, ever forget that. Like, I'm just very grateful. I am. That's really awesome. That's really yeah. awesome. And, um, and you mentioned Los Angeles. I mean, you have a tour that's uh, ending in Los Angeles, uh, but it's coming up here in just a couple of weeks. Like, tell me about what you have planned for the tour. Yeah. So we're taking off from Fort Wayne and we're heading through Chicago. We have three dates in Ohio. We're doing like Cleveland, Toledo, and Columbus. My brain today, my gosh. Um, we are doing um, some Detroit shows and then we're gonna swing back around to California in November um, and do San, Pe San Pedro at down south, also Los Angeles and also um, San, Diego. San Diego. Forgive me, my, my brain is really like chaotic today. <laughs> it's okay, it's, it's um, great. Those little details are just really, I'm having a hard time with them today. But um, yeah, so we're just kind of, um, trying to get the record out there we hope that people want to dance and enjoy it um if anyone hasn't come out to see us dr kane is hilarious and he will probably make you feel uncomfortable at some point and try to play bass right into your face um we do offer free kidney punches at the merch table if anybody needs and we are taking two wonderful guys with us on the road so we're taking um brendan our drummer and we're also taking kellen our lead guitar player on the road and um, they are like honorary crushers. We kind of have like a situation where by necessity, but also kind of adds to the band, uh, Dr. Kane and I can kind of bring people in and have them join the party for whether it's a week, a month, a couple of years, whatever. It's all about just bringing the music to the people. And so we're really grateful. We actually have a lead guitarist this time. So that's really exciting. Um, so it'll be sort of an elevated show and um, yeah, we'll have a new record. So like, that's, that's the one thing I'm the most excited about. Like I've heard so many people recently be like, oh, I have this, I have, I have your records. I have your t-shirt. Not that I'm complaining, but you know, this has been two years in the making and it's, you know, two years is a long time and we're out yeah. here new record, like ready to deliver that shit to your face, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I like it. Um, one other thing I wanted to kind of end with that I thought was it was cool. Uh, I'm uh, I'm from Napa. Uh, I don't live there now. I moved, but uh, you know, just a little bit away. But um, I, I saw on your blog, uh, "Is Your Boyfriend in the Band?" Um, uh, that you wrote uh, Jericanda in uh, in Napa in a cabin in Napa, right? Yeah, it was up near like Clear Lake. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, is that Lake Lomond? So I keep Lomond. telling people it was Lake Lomond or like oh, that town. I don't know what Lomond is, so I need to look that up. Uh. It was like a Northern California town. Um, Dr. Kane was working on someone's house and it was very isolated. I was completely alone for a long time. And that's actually also the time where I learned uh, No Substitute, which is the cover on the album as well. Because um, I was like, man, I'm just, I guess there's a theme here. Whenever I'm bored, I just start making things. But um. Yeah, Jacaranda. I like how you said Jacaranda. Um, Jacaranda. Um, <laughs> I don't know how it's said. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it's really, <laughs> we're having fun today. Um, 
it's it's really we wrote I wrote it during that was during the time that um he was selling the comic book store and we were touring and we were really like feeling our wild oats and feeling like let's do this for reals together and the song is kind of about like the jacaranda trees blooming in San Luis Obispo and feeling like they were this like signal or like alarm bell in my soul that like there was more to the world because these trees they bloom actually on their own schedule weirdly but usually it's like May through July um they're like a subtropical bright purple tree if someone if someone doesn't know please google jacaranda tree they're bright purple and they're almost like this big breath of fresh air of like (gasps) and it made me feel like oh there's so much more to the world there's so much that's beyond the everyday and these trees just kind of inspired me and anyways I was up in northern California thinking about this and that's kind of where it all kind of came together and um yeah northern California is a very special place I mean California in general is special uh, most all of these songs are written in California and I, I've had people tell me like we're a very Californian band and they can hear it in the music and that's it's one of those things where you really can't fake that it just kind of comes out and I do find that to be a wonderful compliment because Californians I mean nobody does it like the Californians do it <laughs> so it's true if we can be exotic and bring that to the Midwest and be completely normal and not exotic in California, mind you, but come here and be some somehow unicorns, we are just so grateful for that because we cannot divorce it from who we are. And uh, yeah, I mean, the trees, right? The trees are always, mm-hmm. the trees are always talking to me. That's not a problem, right? No, no. I mean, I if, the, if the trees talk to you, it's not a problem. But if you talk to the okay. trees, then it's a little, you know, a little different. So no. Dedication <laughs> for this. I can already tell, like, listening back to this, I'm going to be like, wow, wow, Haley, don't tell people that. <laughs> you see, you said too much, right? No. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> too much of an insight. No, that's, that's what yeah. this is good for, right? You know? Good. Yeah. Yeah. Big T. Get, un- get under the outer layer a little bit. So I think yeah, I mean, it's, it's all there. I mean, I'm sure fans of the band will know that we're all a little wacky. And that is, that's just oh. how we are. That's the Crusher verse, you know? Yeah, you're, co- you're colorful. And, you know, and just kind of looking at your Instagram, it's like one of the most colorful, like, just like there's, it's a pop of color, you know, just like, it's, it's amazing. It's great. What a compliment. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yes. Of course. You know, that is that is just what the world needs. So that's who, who we are. We're here to provide that. Absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, hey, I appreciate you taking the time and uh, I wish you luck with the release of the new album and uh, rolling out on tour and being able to kind of find that middle ground with uh, who's choosing the music on the, uh, in, in the van when you're rolling <laughs> out west and stuff. So. <laughs> We can always agree on Huey Lewis and the news, so. You know, truer words have never been said, right? Uh, you, can't go wrong, you can't go wrong with Huey Lewis. That's right. Thank you so much, Steve. I appreciate it. And um, yeah, hold down the fort out there. That was my interview with Haley and the Crushers here on Concert Pipeline. And that takes us to the final segment on the program, the music news. couple of stories to wind out the program here today. Um, the uh, first being um, 
the status of Blink-182, we've talked about it a, a little bit, but I just want to kind of ponder it a little bit more as I'm really intrigued and I'm hoping we hear something in the, uh, the near future. Um, last month, early last month, Tom, uh, Mark DeLong had said, there's, there's nothing really to, to see here. But then uh, he, a couple of weeks later, he went back and said that he hinted that uh, DeLong could be set to rejoin Blink after reconciliation. He said the original trio are in a really great place right now. Um, and it comes after uh, Tom DeLong, uh, um, or I guess, Mar sorry, Mark Hoppus opened up about a home visit with DeLong and Travis Barker that has left the trio in a really good place. It was the first time that all three of us were in the same room in like five years. Uh, he told uh, People Magazine of the informal meeting, which took place before he began chemotherapy in 2021. Uh, it's actually better than it used to be. There was no agenda. There were no lingering grudges. It fell very back to what it should be. Three friends sitting in a room. And he said, I keep writing music and I'm open to whatever the next phase of Blink is. I'm hopeful for the future. I'm just damn glad to be here. Um, for those that aren't familiar, he, uh, he was diagnosed with uh, 4A diffused large B-cell lymphoma last year uh, before revealing to fans in September that he was cancer-free. So he went through quite a struggle um, and he's pushed forward and is uh, hopefully uh, getting the band back together, so to speak, right? Uh, and Matt Skibbez said that he doesn't even know if he's in Blink-182 anymore. He hasn't been told, so uh, see what happens there, right? Um, okay, uh, Ozzy Osbourne has a new song out uh, called Nothing Feels Right, and it's with Zach Wilde. Uh, so um, it's taken from Osbourne's forthcoming album, Patient Number 9, uh, and it's Wilde's first appearance on an Ozzy record since 2007. Uh, you know, I, I think they've been friends for, uh, you know, throughout this whole time. I don't think there was any animosity or breakup or anything. And Zach Wilde even had, you know, a, a, a Black Sabbath tribute band of sorts called Zach Sabbath. Uh, but um, Ozzy shared one more preview of the record, uh, this, this song, Nothing Feels Right, which has Zach Wilde on guitar. And Zach Wilde is an amazing guitarist. Love him. So um, I haven't checked out this song yet, but I need to do that after, after we wrap here, probably. Um, he's regularly toured with Ozzy and played guitar for, uh, for several solo albums, such as 88's No Rest for the Wicked, 91's No More Tears, 1995's Osmos Ascent, 2001's Down to Earth, and multiple live records. Um, Zach Wilde is also one of those bands. We talked earlier about Andrew McMahon, you know, and the influence on me. Zach Wilde was absolutely an influence on me. And I remember going to a... Um, a Black Label Society show with my buddy Joe and uh, uh, buddy Chris at the time. And uh, we were on the Zach's tour bus with him and, and, and hanging out and he offered us a drink. I was, you know, uh, we were all less than 21, <laughs> uh, but, uh, and I didn't drink at the time, right, at, at all. And so I just took a Red Bull from the cool, yeah, a Red Bull's cool, you know, and uh, and so I didn't have anything to prove to anyone. I, I do kind of regret it a little bit. I'm like, come on, if there's a time to you know, have my first drink, it should have been with Zach Wilde. I should have gone there, but I didn't. Uh, and no regrets, no regrets, right? Uh, and Zach Wilde uh, played, was playing us his new album that wasn't even out yet at the time. Uh, he was playing it on his tour bus and rocking out to it. And it was this amazing experience with a fucking amazing guitar player. Uh, I mean, one of the best out there. And, uh, I mean, he has a sound all his own and it's so, so great. So, man, 
we've interviewed uh, Zach a couple times over the years, but it's been years since I've uh, I've interviewed him. Um, so I would love to catch up with Zach again at, at some point. I should try and make that happen. Um, okay, so uh, yeah, there's a bunch of other great people on on Ozzy's album that he has uh, coming out. So um, more to come with that. Aerosmith uh, performed their first show since before the pandemic, um, and it also marked Steven Tyler's first concert since returning from rehab in July. Uh, so they performed at Main Savings Amphitheater, uh, and um, let's see, they, they last performed is in, in Las Vegas residency in February 2022, right before shit hit the fan, right? Uh, and before their European and UK tour appearances were canceled, uh, they did not return to the road in 2021, but announced that the residency would resume in March of this year. They had to cancel the residency, um, citing uh, Tyler's uh, relapse and commencement of rehab. Our beloved brother Stephen has worked on his sobriety for many years, the band said in a statement at the time. He has recently relapsed and voluntarily entered a treatment program to, uh, to concentrate on his health. Um, there was Joey Kramer's uh, uh, leave of absence from the band earlier in the year. And so it was their longest period off stage since forming in 1970. Uh, long, long freaking time uh, that they, they've been out. Um, and so they, uh, Tyler came back to the stage. Uh, Joe Perry declared to the crowd, this is our first fucking gig in two and a half years before joking that they, we've all been doing this lying on our backs and watching Netflix. So um, they had a 17 song set included uh the uh the revival of their nine lives album song for so uh full circle uh, they did covers um and songs they haven't performed in a while uh, they played back in the saddle same old song and dance and close out this show with dude looks like a lady in sweet emotion and they played dream on in their encore when we walk this way um, you know, so they played a bunch of hits and some, some new stuff as well. And so it's great to have Aerosmith back together and out on the road. Um, okay. So two artists, uh, um, are one step closer to getting an EGOT, which, um, an EGOT is an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar and a Tony, right? And so uh, Eminem and Adele um, both have egos and need to get in the Tony game to uh, do some online, I mean, do some plays or something to be able to, um, to check that box off and, and be in the small group of people who have uh, all four of those awards. Excuse me. Uh, Eminem has won a Creative Arts Emmy Award, taking him one step closer. Um, and that he won that for the Super, Super Bowl halftime show earlier this year that he did alongside Dr. Dre, Kendrick Lamar, Snoop Dogg, Mary J. Blige, 50 Cent, and Anderson Pack, which won three prizes at the ceremony over the weekend. And then uh, Adele, uh, she said, trust me to officially have an ego. Um, yeah, so she has, she has an ego now and she found that as a, a pun. Um, and she won it for her uh, recent one night only show that she that she did. So both of them are closer. Good luck to them um, on that uh, that fourth step. I'm sure they're going to be working toward that. Okay, final uh, story to close out the music news for today. Uh, NoFX is planning a breakup next year. Fat Mike broke the news in a comment on Instagram. They're set to break up at some point next year. He's revealed, uh, and they uh, they formed back in 1983 the year I was born. 
a long fucking time ago. So they're apparently want to make it 40 years and then move on. Um, so uh, they uh, released their 14th and most recent record single album in February 2021. Some are seeing the group headline their own punk and drublic festivals across Europe and North America. I didn't go to it this year, wasn't able to, I had a conflict. Uh, but I've been to it in the past and it's pretty darn cool, uh, especially when you have media because you get into the uh, drinking early part and you get to start the, the festivities a little bit early. I th it was a lot of fun, I think, when Flogging Molly played. That was that was the year to go. Um, and so uh, so he said next year, uh, it's weird that he just uh, commented to a fan, um, you know, here. He said next year will be no effects of last year. We will be announcing our final shows uh, soon. And the follower had asked Mike uh, why the group barely comes to Canada to play live shows after fans picked up on the news. Another user asked if NoFX would be performing in LA before breaking up. That Mike replied, Los Angeles will be the last place we play. It's where we started. It's where we'll end. And uh, so you can find those posts online if you want. But um, someone else has confirmed uh, the uh upcoming breakup to spin as well so there's it's been corroborated but i think you can take fed mike's word for it unless he's just pulling pulling punches um so um we'll see what happens with with no effects i mean you know i never really got the no effects hype um i did interview fat mike and eric from no effects once at warp tour many many years ago um it was a cool interview it was a rare interview because i don't think he does many interviews but uh, but it was cool to get to chat with him. Um, but that, you know, I saw him play work for it and just seemed like a total thumbed in performance. And I don't, I'm missing something on the no effects train. So, uh, if you want to fill me in on kind of what the hype is about, I've seen him a couple of times live. Um, please let me know. You can tweet me at concert pipeline. I don't really check Twitter. So why don't you DM me or something on Instagram or, or, or Facebook? And I'll probably see that. Uh, that's probably the way to go. Uh, all right. That is our show for today. Thank you for tuning in. Um, and next time on the podcast, not sure. I don't have anything lined up right now. So it might be a week before we have a show. We'll see what lands. Um, for all of us here at Concert Pipeline, I'm Steve Jones. We'll catch you next time.